You're listening to Asking for a Friend with therapist Stephen Ng. It's a conversation about human sexuality and how to approach it with intelligence, understanding, and compassion. Hi, you're listening to Asking for a Friend, and my name is Stephen Ng, and I'm here to talk with my friend Jackie about sex. Hi, Jackie. Hi, Stephen. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. I, I, uh, I understand you have something you wanted to bring up. Well, it's been a couple of weeks, and okay, I'll just go ahead and say this time the friend is me. <laughs> um, have you seen Deadpool 2? I have. I have. I had a blast. I enjoyed it very much, and I was not expecting to because I thought it was going to be kind of a Guardians of the Galaxy thing where one was awesome and two not so much. Right, right. Sequels can be a letdown sometimes. Yeah, but one of the, the I guess it's not a problem, the challenges of working with you on this project <laughs> is it um, comes in every area of my life. You know, I'm just at a, this movie with Ryan Reynolds, and I'm thinking about, oh, that'd be a good topic for Steven. Oh, well, before we get into the movie, let me just say, you know, this is how it works for me, too, because, you know, in the web of life, everything is connected to mm -hmm. everything, and every one of us is connected to every other one. And so it would be remarkable if there was a work of literature or art of in, in any format, including a movie, that didn't have some, some message, either overt or covert, about sexuality and... Deadpool definitely had actually a couple of different messages about sexuality. I mean, I don't know what you're going to talk about, but I know that, I mean, if you stopped and thought about it, his relationship with his partner, um, the, uh, I can't remember the actress's name, but it is so unreservedly uh, full of uh, desire and passion and a familiar, comfortable level of vulgarity that is really authentic to the two of them. Mm -hmm. And it's just, uh, it, I sort of felt a sense of privilege just watching another couple being so unreservedly with each other. I, I really valued and appreciated that as well. And I guess anybody who's heard us talk about movies before already knows there's going to be spoilers, so just plan on that. <laughs> um, but I, I loved their relation. I loved it in the first one. Yeah. Their relationship in the first movie. Um, and I loved it here that it just ke it continues to grow. And in the first movie, they started, I mean, it was a pickup in a bar, right? And then they, I mean, they didn't know each other the first time they had sex. Well, it sort of was a pickup in the bar, uh, but not a casual pickup because he was clearly smitten. I mean, he was just poleaxed with this gal and I don't know, for me as a man, maybe I'm guilty of projecting on him my own reality, but I, I know how I feel when I meet somebody who just is electrifying. And I think for him, he really conveyed as an actor that this is the sort of feeling that he had for her. And I, I suspect it's because that's exactly how he feels for his wife. And, and for him, since he's so familiar with that feeling, he knows exactly how to portray it. Sure, sure. And I and again, I, I love their relationship. I thought it was I thought it was very believable. Yeah, oh yeah. Uh, which you don't always get in a superhero movie. <laughs> I don't I don't think I ever saw Superman and Lois Lane quite like that. No, no. Um, but I, I want to talk about a more tragic part of this movie. Um, you know, in our conversations we talk about the good the good sex and we talk about the bad sex. You're and such a buzzkill. I know. And <laughs> I wanna talk about the bad sex. Yeah, there was there was some uh 
pretty bad stuff. What was it that you were thinking of? Well, the the most I thought the most interesting thing about this movie was the the quote unquote secondary character um, Russell Collins, the boy who goes by the supervillain name of oh, yeah, uh, Fire Fist. Yeah, but well, I guess kind of a villain. I I thought it was interesting how you think this movie is about Deadpool, and the movie in my mind, was about Russell Collins. Well, or or at least it's Deadpool insofar as he's relating to the trauma suffered by uh, Fire Fist. Uh, and I guess we could call that his mutant name. They don't use really use the word superhero. Yeah, because he's not... Yeah, it would be his mutant name is, is Fire Fist. Yeah, and whether we call him by Russell or Fire Fist, you know, I think calling him Russell in some ways would be appropriate to this conversation because because he's a child he's a child and you're distressed because this child went through some abuse this this child and many children went through extensive abuse and you know it's it's this this movie is is fire fist's origin story and has often happens you know there's abuse that goes on and what struck me with this is the whole early childhood trauma you know, the things that he experienced obviously had a direct correlation to his behavior later. And obviously this is a movie, so it happened within the space of two hours. But, And I just started thinking about how many people, you know, you hear this, oh, children are resilient, don't worry, they'll bounce back. <sighs> but I'm going to guess in your practice, most of the people you talk to, something is connected to something that happened as a child. You know, uh, yes. Short answer, yes. And but I would go farther, and I would say, honestly, I'd have to say every single one of us walking the planet uh, has had some early childhood trauma that has affected us. And I can give you lots of examples that would be nowhere near worthy of, let's say, a Monday night movie, uh, because there really isn't nearly enough drama around it. But it still affects us. And I think in this film, um, although the film itself lasts only about two hours, the abuse that Russell's character has been going through has been going on for we don't know how long. And yes, it was what's particularly uh, painful about his abuse is that it was perpetrated by those who were charged with helping him. As often happens. Yes. Right. And, often and, happens. It's our parents or a step parent or another guardian who who perpetrates the abuse. Well, and that that's so right. I mean, those who are responsible for protecting us, helping us, teaching us, uh, guiding us spiritually, when 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 those people engage in abuse of the children they're charged with protecting, the abuse is even more of a betrayal. And I think affects children even more deeply than abuse by from some other source, like the school bully, right? With from whom they they've grown to expect it, but from some adult who actually has responsibility and trust uh, from other adults for doing the right thing, goes ahead and does that kind of uh, abuse. Uh, it's it's very traumatic, and the abuse that Russell was going through was, well. Uh, let's let's talk about that for a minute. Well, it was partly, I mean, it was partly sexual abuse. Yes. Which, again, struck me that they would address something like that in a, in a superhero movie. But Deadpool is deep. I mean, 
You know, it's it's really easy to look from the commercials and, and focus in the first one that, you know, we get to see Ryan Reynolds bare butt. Um, yeah, and then it's all from a comic book. Yeah, but the but there's some deep issues that go on in these movies. And so it seemed like there was some, um, because it was the, the uh, an orphanage for children with mutant powers. Right. And the people who were in charge of them didn't seem to like that they had mutant powers and, and were very intent on... Uh, punishing them for that. Yeah, you're so right. And and the abuse was sexual but also physical. There was a lot of physical restraining going on. It seems and, like there was some testing even. And physical torturing going yeah. on. So there was emotional abuse. Uh, it really went up and down the scale, and not to forget, but like some churches, um, I think the institution also included spiritual abuse by some of it being in the name of God and what was holy and what was right. So there were, there were, there were, it was just a broad spectrum of abuse that this poor child was going through. And he looks like he's, what, 11 years old? I think he's 12 or 13 in here. Okay. But, you know, an an innocent child. Yeah. An innocent child was put in this situation where, you know, he was supposed to be cared for and, and raised. And he was, he was treated as personal property and, and abused and tortured, like you said. Um, and again, not just him. And what I liked about the movie is that they addressed it. They had kind of the physical manifestation of what happens to somebody who's treated like that. In this case, the fire, you know, that he, that he could throw fire. Um, and I, I just thought it was brilliant the way that they demonstrated his, his tortured psyche. Right. And, and in that, you know, not to make more of it than what it was, but they do make it credible. And what were the feelings that Russell had as a result of his abuse? Well, the typical feelings anybody would have, shame, uh, anger, fear. Powerlessness. Oh, all of it, you know. So when confronted by those feelings, Russell is beginning uh, to handle them in a way that works for him. He becomes abusive himself. He becomes larger than life. He stops respecting other people and their safety. And he pretty much mimics those he hates in an attempt to no longer be the victim. And, and I, I do understand that. But, you know, there's a lot of variation with this, this theme of abuse and early childhood trauma. And by the way, not all trauma is early childhood abuse. I was talking to someone the other day who lost a parent at a very vulnerable age uh, through illness. And it was not something that was again, worthy of a movie or anything like that. And the level of trauma wasn't the kind of, it wasn't the stuff of um, superhero movies or of novels, that sort of thing. But it was something that affected this individual to the point where it changed their behavior into a self-defeating pattern that would come up time and again. Not so bad that it ruined their life utterly and totally, but this compulsive behavior uh, would be, was it was their medicine for handling their problem when they felt those feelings that that stirred up the memories of the trauma or the feelings that were similar to those from back in the trauma. So, I do have a parallel though from American Life that's kind of shameful. Okay. Um, most of us are aware that. You know, the uh, white man came to this country and subjugated the native population. And uh, 
most of us are well aware that uh, every single treaty we ever wrote with the Native Americans, we violated uh, again and again. We never honored one of them. And in that history of deception and abuse um, and conquest, we eventually ended up putting Native Americans on reservations. And then we came in to put quotes around the word, help them by establishing uh, Bureau of Indian Affairs schools. Uh, it was required that the children from the reservation go to the schools because at the time it was believed if we could educate them, they would no longer be Indians. So um, the children were forcibly taken if necessary from their parents and they were taken off uh, to schools, boarding schools, where they would live for the rest of the years they were in school. And these children would be as young as kindergarten or first grade age. And they were punished physically and severely if they uh, used any language other than English. And if they had any kinds of very normal childhood reactions to trauma, like being uprooted from your home and your family and forced to learn a new language that's alien to you. Um, they would be, if they say wet the bed or failed to do their chores properly, they would also be physically abused and humiliated. The abuse was so bad that it included not only emotional abuse and physical abuse, but sexual abuse as well. And often I know that the rest of us who are not Native look at the Native population and we scratch our heads wondering what's wrong with these people when we look at their very high rates of alcoholism, for example. But if you look back at the early childhood history of trauma, the alcohol suddenly makes so much sense because just as our doctors prescribe antidepressants and other medicines to try to help us deal with depression and anxiety, and even self-loathing, uh, so too Native peoples turn to their own uh, medications, often off the street like alcohol, to help themselves feel something, anything other than what it is they are feeling. And again, kind of like Russell's character in Deadpool 2, uh, shame, humiliation, fear, uh, rage, uh, hurt, emotional hurt, and it's, you know, to me, it's, it's just so, it's been so easy for me as a younger person growing up in my home state of Nevada to look at drunken Indians who were walking down the street and be really put off by their appearance and their smell without ever being aware of that backstory of abuse that my ancestors and your ancestors had a hand in perpetuating because this is a republic and we are all responsible for the laws and the acts of our government. And so we've all had a hand in that sort of abuse, just as the government in that fictional future portrayed in Deadpool 2 uh, had a hand and we all had a hand in the government that set up that orphanage where those mutants could be abused. And I guess you bring up alcohol as a, um, a remedy, yeah. putting that in quote marks. Right. And that's a pretty common remedy 
obviously obviously not unique to Native Americans, um, but that many of us will use that or something else to try to deal with the pain that we had as a child or that we might be having. Yeah, you know, I think we were coming out of a fairly dark period in the 20th century where we really thought of addiction to substances as a completely, utterly separate disease, uh, when really it's, you know, as Gabor Mate, the psychiatrist from Canada, has pointed out, we all have suffered some level of early childhood trauma. And it is true that we're all more or less resilient. But we are also more or less intelligent, more or less well-endowed with wonderful additional people who make our lives better. And really an infinite number of other variables that can't we can't even review here in a podcast. So we all we are all affected differently. We are all driven to different behaviors and those of us who throw put our nose so high up in the air because we don't have a drug or alcohol problem, we often have our own problems that are sometimes more subtle uh, to ourselves at least, uh, if not to the people around us, like simply being perfectionistic being controlling. If that's not a a bit of an obsession, I don't know what is. Uh, Gambling problems, shopping. Um, I've talked to countless people who collect shoes, for example, and, you know, they think of that as a harmless thing, but really they're unable to pass a store and not buy shoes. They're unable to not buy shoes even when it makes no financial sense for them to be buying. And this, again, is these are just examples of the many different types of compulsive behaviors that we all have. That And they become, if you will, a, a drug of choice for us to change the way we feel. So we have about five minutes left, and so that we don't end the show as a total downer. <laughs> um, so if you, if you have a child in your life... Or a young person who has, you know, what what can you do for them? How can you how can you help them? Well, you know, this information that's come out uh, from Gabor Mate and others who have have really seen the bigger picture, it may be depressing, but it's also very empowering because it means that instead of being so focused on abstinence, whether it's from drugs and alcohol, or or from other compulsive behaviors like perfectionism and uh, gambling and the other things, we can instead begin to focus again on the interior world of the human being in front of us and ask ourselves, what's going on that they need to do this? Because normal, happy people really don't need a different reality because they're enjoying this one. So they may have a drink here and there, but they don't need to get blotto in order to deal with life. They may enjoy shopping or food or anything else, but they don't need to stuff themselves or spend beyond their means or do any of these other self-defeating behaviors in order to change the way that they feel. So for a parent who's looking at a child who's gone through abuse, like poor Russell in the movie, I think the first step is understanding that it's really okay. Well, it's so much more complicated than we can talk about in a couple of minutes. I know. But it's really okay for them to talk about it when, especially with the case of boys, when and as they are ready to talk about it. And it may not be with parents. And I I have to say, and it's going to sound terribly self-serving because I'm a therapist, 
But all of the time, I hear about families who go through tremendous trauma, including that in my newspaper today of a boy whose mother was stabbed multiple times and then her body was dragged off and, and burned by, by the uh, putative boyfriend. And this little boy has had nothing but emotional problems since, quite understandably, sure, right? Sure, So, but he's, but my fear is that he and so many others never get the counseling that they need because we just don't think proactively about preventing problems. And the, and the truth is all of us need help, especially those of us who are very young and don't know our, our way around the world. We need help in processing these terrible feelings. And I, and I know from talking to people and some personal experience that oftentimes the parents don't want, they don't want to bring in a, a therapist because then you're acknowledging that this was really, really bad. Right. And the reality is that, that even if it's not really bad, I mean, I'm a big fan of therapy, you know, just to go to, to have someone to talk to. Right. And obviously by addressing it at the root cause or not, you can help prevent problems later. It's a little bit like uh, your child taking a severe blow on the head and maybe getting knocked out in a football game or at a football practice. You take him into the doctor with his, you know, because he might, might have a concussion and he might have a need to take a few days off. And you do that proactively as a parent because you're trying to do right by your child. Well, shouldn't we be all the more concerned about those hurts those injuries and wounds that accumulate that aren't aren't easily seen on an x-ray or in a blood test where it takes but it takes a professional a little bit of time just to unearth and we're not talking about years of therapy for the kid who doesn't need it we're talking about maybe one two or three appointments for the kid who doesn't need it and if he doesn't need it the therapist can explain to you why he doesn't need it well and i know i you know once a year i go see my therapist just as a check-in. And he tells you you don't need it. She tells me I don't need it. She does. She's like, you know what? You sound good. And it's like, okay. Just, you know, just to make sure. Right. Because it is, it is. If there's something that you, that you need to be dealing with, you need to deal with it as much as we don't want to. Yeah. And I, I think that, uh, I mean, I, there's just so many stories of families that don't do this. And, and the adage that I've heard so many times from 12-step groups that I'll share with everyone listening think is really true. We are as sick as we are secretive. And I think uh, bringing people into our lives, safe people, people we can really talk to and trust, is, is a key to overcoming even the very worst of the trauma of our past. Right. Shining a light on it, shining a light on it so you can deal with it rather than pretending like it never happened. Absolutely. So, um, okay. So, takeaway? Yeah, that's, I'm sorry. That's it. That was it. Okay. <laughs> so so bad things happen sometimes. We need to deal with them. Bad things happen even to the best of families, even those families who've always done the right thing by their child. You know, a child can go to a school, and one day when you're not looking, a bully can do something really mean to that child. And for a sensitive young child, that can be a very traumatic experience sure. that scars them for years afterwards and really makes them afraid of a lot of specific things that they need to work through. Okay, well, thank you so much. Um, and to our audience, if you have a question for Stephen, go ahead and tweet us at Stephen Ng MFT, and we'll try to get it on a future show. Good talking to you, Jackie. You too, thank you. Bye now.